Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Lent is fast approaching. I know that frequently this season of preparation sneaks up on me, and I'm shocked when I see Ash Wednesday pop up on my calendar. Today on Sampler, we'll take a look at some podcast resources to get us ready for and see us through the Lenten season. Our first serving comes from the father of Mike Schmidt's Catholic podcast, looking at the purpose of Lent and asking, what does the Israelites 40 years in the desert tell us about the purpose of Lent? Forty days of Lent. Now, forty in the in the Bible is a number that represents trial, represents testing, and also represents a long time, right? So uh, we have uh, forty days of the rain. We have the forty years in walking in the wilderness. We have Jesus's forty days in the wilderness as well. Um, and I think it's really interesting because there's this connection between the forty days of Jesus in the wilderness, aka the forty days of Lent, and the forty years of the people of Israel in the wilderness, like before they got to the promised land. And here's something I've been reflecting on a lot because I've been reflecting on the book of Exodus a lot. In the book of Exodus, you have the people of Israel who are set free from slavery in Egypt. And God wanted to lead them to at least two places, right? One is to a place of the covenant where they worship him and receive the law. They have a new relationship with him and they get the law and they get worship. But then also he was going to lead them to the promised land. And you know the story, right? Um, he was going to take them right from Mount Sinai, basically to Mount Zion. They were going to go from the wilderness, from slavery through the Red Sea, to the place of worship and the place of covenant, over to the promised land. That was God's plan. That was plan A, right? But what happens? They got to the promised land, sent some scouts in. They're like, we can't do it. We, could, we can't do that. We, we can't uh, defeat these people who are living there right now because they're big and we're small. Now, here's an interesting, interesting thing. God had just set them free from slavery in the largest kingdom, nation, whatever, country in the world at the time. They were slaves in Egypt and God set them free. He had them walk through a, the Red Sea, right? With the wall, waters, like a wall to their right and to their left. And he's bringing them to the promised land. But they get there and they're like, oh, we couldn't possibly do that. The God who set them free from slavery was going to lead them into victory. The God who set them free from slavery was going to lead them into victory. But they didn't have the heart to fight. And they didn't have the trust in their father that he would fight for them. And so what happened? They had to wander the wilderness for 40 years. And in the wilderness, what did they learn? They learned how to trust and they learned how to grow strong. Learned how to trust and learned how to be free people who belong to the one holy God. But that was plan B. I think about this a lot. The Lord who set you free, right, from your sins, through your baptism, leading you through the waters of baptism, just like God led the people of Israel through the waters of the Red Sea, into freedom wanting to lead you to a place of even greater freedom. And what happens? We come up against 
the battle. We come up against the enemy. We come up against some kind of challenge. And maybe it's some interior sin or an interior battle or an interior kind of weakness that we experience. And recognizing that God actually wants us to face that thing because he, with his power, the same one who set us free from slavery and set us free from death, is wants to set us free in this area. But I'm like, I'm not willing to fight. And I'm not trusting that he's going to fight for me. And so what has to happen? We have to wander the wilderness. But what if the people of Israel had said, okay, God, we're willing to fight and we know you're going to fight with us. We'll do the hard thing and we're going to trust in you. They would have been able to take the promised land. Not because they were amazing warriors, but because God is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. Lord is his name. It's from the Bible. Same thing is true for us. God wants to lead us into victory. He set us free from slavery. He wants to lead us into victory. Will these 40 days be days where we say, yeah, that's it. This is the time where God is training me to be a fighter and God is training me to trust. God is training me to do battle with myself and to do battle with those, those weaknesses and those sins that it's just, it's about time we've rooted them out, right? It's about time we, we move past them. It's about time we said, okay, Lord, um, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If I need to get some help in this, whatever it takes. If I need to have some accountability, whatever it takes. If I need whatever it is, whatever it takes to be a fighter. Secondly, to trust. Say, Lord, I know that if I'm willing to show up, you'll be there. Lord, I know if I'm willing to do what I can with my weakness and my brokenness to fight and do whatever it takes, I know that you will do everything else that I can't do. It's one of the, things that, one of the great things that grace does. Grace does what we can't do. In fact, even grace makes it possible for us to do what we can do. To be able to have that fighting spirit, to be willing to do whatever it takes, and to trust that our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit will fight with us and will fight for us. You could walk into the promised land, walk into freedom much, much sooner than a lot of us believe is possible. But only if we're willing to fight and willing to cast everything we have upon our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. These next 40 days, let that be a time let this be the time where you're like, no, I'm getting trained. Trained to fight. Trained to trust. I've been set free from slavery. Now it's time to move on to victory. That's what I got. I'm praying for you this Lent. Please pray for me this Lent too because I want it. I want it too. I, I don't want just free from slavery. I want victory and I want to belong to the Lord with everything I've got. Let's do this this Lent. Let's belong to him. Let's fight and we'll trust. And from all of us here to Ascension Presents, from, sorry, from all of us here to Ascension Presents, my name is Father Mike. God bless. As we continue preparing for Lent, our next offering on the sampler comes from CatholicExchange.com. This episode features an interview with Father Edward Looney as they discuss how we can walk with Mary in Lent. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is your editor and host, Michael Litchens with CatholicExchange.com. And today we're talking with someone who's been on the podcast a couple of times, Father Edward Looney. Father Looney is a longtime writer for Catholic Exchange. You probably saw his article about how we should pray for others when we get prayer requests. We'll put that all on CatholicExchange.com. And he's also been an ordained priest in the Diocese of Green Bay, has visited, I think, something like 10 Marian apparition sites, and has 
been writing all over the internet and has a new exciting book out called Lenten Journey with Mother Mary. So Father Looney, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, you know, it's a great honor always to, to write for Catholic Exchange, to be on your podcast. Back when I was just starting out writing, I thought mm -hmm. I hit the ceiling when I first got my Walking with Mary article published on Catholic Exchange because I've been a longtime reader and then submitted something. So so happy oh. to be with you. Oh, that's exciting. Now you're getting, this is your third book now, am I right? Uh, it's actually the fourth. I had a oh, that's third right. book that, yeah, I had a fourth, a third book that came out kind of secretly. It was kind of just uh, all the different devotions I wrote for the shrine compiled in one manual. Ah. And uh, so that's my third one. But there wasn't a lot of marketing or a lot of push for it. But mm -hmm. probably as soon as the pilgrim season begins, we'll talk about the shrine uh, a, a, a bit more. Excellent. Well, and on that note, we have your new book coming out, but I want to ask you, you've written a lot about Mary Rosary Litany and things like that, but why do you think Mary is a good guide for specifically Lent? Yeah, that's the whole idea of this little book that I wrote, uh, A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary. It's one of those devotional type books, a daily reflection, and each reflection is about two pages, simply to tell a story, to share something, to live the message of the Blessed Mother. And um, Mary is a great companion, first of all, throughout our entire lives. There are many times in our life that maybe there's a certain trial mm -hmm. or something that happens that we turn to Mary, that we ask her prayers, that we go to her shrines, that we beseech her intercession. So a lot of times we find great consolation in the fact that Mary, our mother, prays for us. And so when it comes to Lent, of course, Mary lived with Jesus her entire life. And so she had this experience with the Lord from infancy, from being in the womb, for uh, the encounter that Jesus had with John the Baptist in the womb, and all of these experiences she had, and then growing up with him, fleeing into Egypt, going back home to Nazareth. So Mary could say truly that she journeyed with the Lord in all things and uh, But she also journeyed with him, as we know, to the foot of the cross. And our Lenten journey is all about Calvary. It's all about mm -hmm. Good Friday and then the tomb and Easter Sunday. And Mary can really help us prepare for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, and what I did was to look at her messages, uh, to look at the different apparitions of Our Lady, the approved apparitions. Of course, there are some apparitions that are kind of in a, a state where they're neither approved nor condemned that people go there. But I wanted to just focus on the less controversial ones, the ones that really had already received the, uh, the approval of the church. And essentially just to listen to Mary, to walk with her during this Lenten journey, to see how it is that maybe she wants us to examine our consciences, to see how it is that she, or who it is that she wants us to pray for and uh, how she wants us to pray, really just to ask some of those questions and to really relate them and extract them from her many apparitions and messages. Okay, I see. And uh, on the subject of apparitions, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been to quite a few. How do you think apparitions specifically can help us in our prayer life, especially during, say, a season like Lent? Sure. So the, the apparitions themselves, you know, we hear the messages of Mary. And so oftentimes they're messages that invite us back to the Lord. And so it could be if I've been away from the church, if I've been away from the sacraments, well, Mary invites us then to that sacramental life, to that prayer in the church and uh, to, to celebrate, to go to mass, to receive forgiveness of sins. Uh, but more so, 
a lot of times when Mary appeared, she would she would ask for certain prayers to be prayed. And uh, that's an entire week of the book is that um, is focusing on those different prayers. And of course, I, I could only cover seven. Of right? and, and there are so many others that so many others that I could have brought up, but I just chose seven. Like, for example, a little unknown apparition in France called Leilao that was approved um, maybe back in 2007, you know, just just early, just recently. And uh, the apparitions occurred in, in uh, the 1600s, received uh, by a girl named Benedicta uh, Rancourel. And um, Mary asked them to pray the Litany of Loretto. And so that's a little prayer to pray those titles of Mary. But then when she appeared, for example, to other children, uh, she said, well, say your prayers every day. And how is it that a child like the children of La Salette would pray? Well, maybe it was to pray an Our Father and a Hail Mary, and maybe just to simply go back to the basics to ensure that we pray. So there's always that invitation for prayer in Mary's apparitions. Is that a pretty constant one throughout her apparitions? Yes. So uh, she always asks people to pray. Mm. Uh, I think of the apparition site very close to me, Champion. She said, well, pray for yes. the conversion of sinners. And... Um, I, I've always been very touched by the Belgian apparitions, and I know I just sent you a piece on on the apparitions in Beno, mm -hmm. France, or in Beno, Belgium, but in Bereng and in Beno, Mary said, pray, pray very much, pray always. She's telling this to children to pray, and uh, there's always that invitation, uh, and so we can always go deeper than in our prayer, of our petitioning, yes, but maybe even our intimacy with God in prayer maybe through the rosary, through contemplation and meditation and so forth. I see. And uh, you do mention it in some of your work at Catholic Exchange, as well as this latest book. You talk about how Mary can help convert sinners through her prayers. Can you talk a little bit about that with us? Yes. So I knew that Sophia Institute Press wouldn't mind that I would use a Catholic Exchange article for one of the meditations. But no. yeah, that was a piece I uh, yeah, that was a piece I wrote back maybe last year how Mary converts sinners. And she she does so in, in a few different ways. The very fact that Mary appears, her very presence uh, converts sinners. That sometimes even there are these stories, right, of, of statues of Mary, that maybe someone looks at the statue and it converts their heart, that, that they sense the love of Mary. So even by her presence, she's able uh, to, to convert sinners, to, to bring people mm -hmm. to that conversion. She also does so by, by her prayers. So Mary is in heaven praying for us. And that was very apparent in Champion. Mary said, I'm the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. And so that's what she's doing. She's praying in heaven. And so by her prayers for us here below, while well, she's gaining us our conversion, we can think of her example Mary's virtues are often held up high. She was the humble version. She was obedient. She was all of these different things. And so her virtues, when we contemplate how it is that she lived her life, I think there's a devotion maybe to the 12 virtues of Mary. And uh, these virtues these virtues really can inform us and to say, well, I know that maybe sometimes in my life I'm disobedient. And so I need to pray for the virtue of obedience or I'm prideful at times. And so when we see Mary's humility, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Well, then we see, well, yeah, I need to be more humble too and to overcome that pride in my life. I had a spiritual director who once told me that the point of Lent was to convert sinners, starting with yourself. 
Do you think uh, Mary can help us to especially overcome personal sins or entrenched sins like that? Yes, there there are so many stories of, of people who have really entrusted to Mary's intercession, um, entrusted their difficulty, their struggle, whatever that is, they've given it over and asked her to pray for pray for them so that they might overcome. Yes. This is why people consecrate themselves to the Blessed Mother. This is why people pray their daily rosary. And as they pray their daily rosary, they begin to see the sins of their life kind of wane away, that that it's it's something that begins to dissipate. Because when you have the Mother of God, when you have all this mm -hmm. grace, Mary is the mediatrix of grace. God chooses to give grace to the world through her mediation and intercession. So, so she can mediate that grace uh, to people when they ask. I know there have been some saints who are able to actually turn to Mary to really overcome those personal sins, but I don't think it always strikes us when we're praying, say, through our rosary and all. is like, actually, Mary can help me overcome this in my life. It's a helpful reminder of my experience. For sure. And isn't it the case that we ask her, pray for us sinners now? So yes. when we say that in the Hail Mary, we're saying, I'm praying for me right now, mm -hmm. but then I also am praying for others. And so there's this, there's... Uh, something very beautiful about all of that. Also, I have the hope we can call upon her, as you mentioned a few times in your writings, that she's kind of always there for us. And moving on to that, you tell us a little bit about how we can pray the Seven Sorrows Rosary, and why should we, for especially Lent? Sure, so the Seven Sorrows is uh, a special devotion to the Blessed Virgin, and uh, it was really popularized, actually, by these apparitions of Our Lady in the 1980s uh, to some children in Rwanda. Uh, in Cabejo, Africa. And, uh, you, you know, there's uh, that, that wonderful speaker who shared her story of the genocide and how she survived it, Immaculate Ilibagiza. And uh, Immaculate's story, uh, you know, she really clung to that message of Rwanda. She wrote a book, actually, on the apparitions in, in, uh, in Cabejo. And, uh, but she, she also promotes the Seven Sorrows devotion People who might live in the Chicagoland area know there's a basilica to Our Lady of the Seven Sorrows down in Chicago, and it's uh, run by the Servites. It's actually a Servite devotion, and uh, mm. it really just focuses on the on the different sorrows of the Blessed Mother, and and basically all of those sorrows. Now, some of them are from early on in her life when she lost her child in the temple when Simeon made that prophecy, you know. So there are early early sorrows of her life but then there are the later sorrows the sorrows that jesus is sentenced to death that jesus dies on the cross that he's laid in the tomb these are sorrows for mary we could also think of mary's sorrows too uh in the sense that she sorrowed over the church as mm -hmm. one by one the apostles were martyred uh, as mary is the mother of the church she's the mother of the apostles and so she would have been sorrowful over that in heaven, she's sorrowful. When she came to La Salette, she cried, she wept, she wept. And uh, so these are the, the sorrows of Mary. Now, the seven sorrows are specifically a devotion, and you pray uh, each sorrow and pray seven Hail Marys to that corresponding, uh, to that corresponding mystery. So, so it's kind of like a Dominican rosary replacement. We're all familiar with the joyful, sorrowful, luminous, glorious mysteries, and the seven sorrows rosary is just a little different focusing on those uh, sorrows of Mary. There's another rosary called the, the Seven Joys of Mary, the Franciscan crown, that some people might pray as well. But uh, yeah, so I think the seven sorrows really help us to identify with the fact that Mary was sorrowful. And 
read through at the cross or station keeping the Stabat Mater, and you'll see the sorrow of Mary come alive. With the sorrows of Mary, is Mary someone we can also turn to? I know, like, for a lot of us, as we enter Lent, we have a lot of emotional healing that we need. Is she someone to turn to when you have a broken heart? Sure. So, you know, the healing of Mary's, if we want to say Mary has a broken heart, and there could be some Thomists out there that would probably argue against that, that because Mary was the Immaculate Conception, that she couldn't experience that and all these things because she she was apart from sin. But at, at the same time, there is, if she is the star-wing mother, well, maybe her heart was broken over the fact that, that Christ died. But how does, how does Jesus heal Mary's broken heart? Well, he does it from the cross. He says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. So by entrusting Mary to someone else's care, well, that's going to facilitate her own healing, whatever it is that she moves to forgive the people who persecuted and put her son to death and, and all of those things. So in our own lives, we, we can have a broken heart and uh, we can struggle over something. And uh, I think that we can entrust that to Mary's intercession and that what is broken might be made whole. There's, uh, I wrote a different book called A Heart Like Mary's, but sometimes we need to acknowledge that our hearts are broken and we need to have a new heart. And maybe it is asking Mary to give us that new heart uh, and uh, a new heart full of the Holy Spirit and filled with all that grace. Wonderful. And how about uh, for people who have, say, suffering from a particular disease or caring for someone who's suffering from a disease that seems incurable or is just long lasting and never seems to go away? Uh, the, the stories of Mary's apparitions often bring about healing. There are some that are known specifically for the charism of healing especially we call to mind Lourdes, France, when St. Bernadette received the apparition in 1858. And uh, when Mary comes, she she tells Bernadette, dig and uncover the spring of water, and all these people began to be healed by that water. The same thing happened in Belgium. Mary said in Benoît, she said, well, I'm setting this water apart for the healing of the nations, for the healing of people. This is reserved for me. And so so we use that water, you know, not as a magical potion or lotion or anything like that, but we use it as a way to 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 invoke something material. It's really a, a reminder of our baptism, sure, but there's something about it. Water itself is, is uh, healing in a sense that if we're without water, well, we need it. And uh, uh, in order to be cleansed, to be whole, to be uh, to have energy and all these things. So so the water like Lourdes water and I've, I tell the story in the yeah. book that I've given Lourdes water to lots of different people, um, to, to a, a lady struggling with a brain tumor, to um, a, a girl that had an, she had issues with her stomach. And so she was really struggling with that and uh, gave her some water. There's a, a little boy that was in my parish and um, he, he stuck a, pick, a, a pitchfork in his foot and uh, they went to the doctor, it was severely infected. And it wasn't looking good. And the kid was still going to school despite all this. It was bandaged and everything. But the Catholic school teacher uh, came, well, came to me and asked for some, uh, some Lourdes water, knowing that I would have some. And she took it to school and she prayed with the child. And um, I think it's miraculous. The little boy, his, his foot began to heal. And they were very concerned about it. In fact, the father called me and and was uh, I was just coming back from a vacation, and and he called me, and 
I thought, oh boy, I wonder, uh, I wonder if he's calling because they have to amputate or it was nothing of the sort because the boy had already gotten better in just three days uh, from, from, from the prayer and using the lures water. And, and uh, you know, that story touched another boy in the community who broke his growth plate, came, uh, came to his family, came to me and we, we had a little gathering with his friends and, and we prayed and I blessed his leg and put the lures water on there. And he was back to playing baseball with by the end of the summer. So again, a healing being facilitated. I think that these things happen. And uh, so for those who struggle with some sort of disease or whatever, um, invoke the intercession of Our Lady of Lourdes, invoke the intercession of Mary as the health of the sick. Yes, and we published an article last year during Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes uh, about an unexpected healing where a mother of a chronically ill child wasn't able to get the healing she was looking for, but she was surprised at the emotional healing she found at Lourdes. And I'll, I'm not doing this article justice. I'm going to put a link on galaxyh.com. Don't worry, everyone. But on that note, what are some comforts that we can take from Mary if, say, the healing doesn't go exactly as we were hoping for? Sure. And actually, in, the, in one of the meditations, I reflect a little bit about that uh, in mm -hmm. relation to my mother. Because I, pr and maybe I wrote this on Catholic Exchange and some article I wrote online, I shared this story, but um, as well. But uh, my mother had di diabetes for a long, for her entire life, and she ended up dying from it. And I, I prayed every day through the intercession of Solanus Casey that she would never have her leg amputated. And uh, when I received word, actually, a sheriff officer came to my house and told me that my mother had passed. And um, when he told me that, I was just really uh, processing it afterwards. I, I simply was struck by the fact, well, this is kind of what I prayed for in a sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what I preached at the homily, how my uh, kind of a life of answered prayer. But um, I prayed that she would never have her leg amputated. And in death, she didn't. And so um, she was moving rapidly to that point. And uh, I think that Sometimes we have to accept the fact that what we prayed for obviously wasn't wasn't the outcome uh, according to the will of God, but maybe God is going to accomplish something else through this. And I see that in the life of other people that I work with, uh, a family from my parish, um, their son who is 35 or 36, 35, 36 years old, that uh, he died of, of colon cancer. He left behind a wife and four kids that were all under the age you know, none of them had made First Communion. And uh, so that wasn't the outcome, obviously, we all prayed for and wanted and expected. But um, but I think that they've been able to see how God is still at work and, and how, how God is being glorified even through his death, that now other things are coming to light or uh, just good things, being able to help other people with cancer in the community and, and things of that nature. So So there is this this idea that that if if the grace we pray for isn't the one we receive, well, we have to trust that the grace that we did receive from God is is what what we needed to receive, and and over time we'll come to accept that and come to terms with that. You talk a little bit about how to pray in order to hear God's voice. Can you walk us through what that looks like? Well, so how to pray to hear God's voice? Um, yeah, that's a that's a, a way that we can pray and. 
sometimes I think it's to really open ourselves up to the will of God. And, uh, and so sometimes hearing, hearing God's voice, well, God speaks to us every time we open the scriptures. God speaks to us every time we read from the Bible, when we go to mass, that there's something in those scriptures that maybe is consoling us, that is confronting us. Um, actually, it was, it was the Feast of the Holy Family just a few weeks ago. I, I preached a homily called, I Haven't Always Honored My Father. And to be completely honest, it wasn't the homily I had prepared. I had no intention on preaching that, but I was sitting in the confessional, unfortunately, oh. no penitence. So I was looking at the readings one more time. And, and as I was reading the, the, the reading from Sirach, it said, you know, whoever honors his father will have a long life and, you know, all of these different things. And, and I was confronted by that because my father was an absent father. He wasn't in my life. I've reached out a number of times, never reciprocated. And, uh, and so I had, to, I had to accept the fact that God was speaking to me through the scriptures that I was reading. And, that, uh, and so I ended up, you know, in half an hour, inspired by the Holy Spirit, preached probably one of my most listened to homilies and one of the probably more personal and more powerful homilies that I've preached. But um, that was how God spoke was through his word. And uh, it unsettles you sometimes. I think, too, God can speak to us. Uh, we can hear God's voice maybe through another person, that that other person speaks to us. And as we hear them, well, then, you know, they're, they're sharing with us those uh, things that they think that God is where God might be leading us. And uh, so there, there are many ways that God can speak to us in our own personal prayer. Uh, whenever you have that sense, like, I think I'm being led to do something. Well, trust if it's, if it's for the good. Trust that that's God's voice that's leading you. How do you even begin to develop that trust that God is leading you? Because I think for many of us, we feel like, well, I don't know what he even wants me to do in my day-to-day -day life. How can I trust that he's leading me where I need to be? You know, that's, that's actually, this, that was my homily this morning at Daily Mass uh, uh, on this day that we're uh, the day that we're recording that... Uh, Samuel in, in this story is going to Saul and says, well, let me tell you what the Lord spoke to me or what the Lord told me. And so he goes and seeks the counsel of another person. And uh, that's, that's sometimes what we need to do. I'm not telling everybody to go get a spiritual director because there aren't enough spiritual directors in the world for that. But, uh, but maybe there's a close friend of yours who has the spiritual acumen that can help you uh, in, in something in your life that you can share and say like this is something that happened to me and i'm just wondering like what your thoughts are and to be able to process that with someone else uh who who you believe to be uh, a person that can guide you and uh, that's that's an, another way that we can verify that this might be god's voice leading us that might be a way that we deepen our trust or sometimes it's taking that act of faith and taking the plunge and and jumping in and say, I believe this is God's will, and if it's not God's will, he's gonna reveal it to me. And so, so that's an act of trust right there as well. Uh, of course, we can always pray, Jesus, I trust in you, and uh, the, the phrase uh, of St. Faustina and that image, but, but we can pray that, especially in those difficult moments when, when maybe we don't know uh, where we're supposed to go. Do you find St. Faustina in particular is a helpful guide for us through Lent? Yeah, so actually, um, the book, A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, concludes with the Easter octave. So we go beyond Easter and, um, and we do the octave. And, and that's in part because of the story that inspired the book. So I was in Lourdes, France, 
Uh, it was the last day. There's a restaurant that I eat pretty much all my meals at when I go to Lourdes. And mm-hmm. uh, at the at the end of this uh, time there, this this woman walks in. She speaks English. It's very hard to find sometimes other English speakers. She was alone. And so anyways, I, I, I spoke to her. I said, hey, where are you from? You know, I'm from Wisconsin. She was from Chicago. And uh, I asked if this was her first time in Lourdes. And before you know it, she was sitting at my table and I was kind of giving her the ins and outs of Lourdes and what she should do and things that people don't know about and, oh. and all these things. And uh, she began to share her story. So I said, well, why did you come to Lourdes? And she said, well, I'm on this crazy pilgrimage right now. And it wasn't a pilgrimage like any that we have taken. Mm-hmm. Usually you go eight to 10 days and then you come home. But she took like two months out of her life. She did the El Camino, walking mm-hmm. the way of St. James. And she said, she said, I did the way of St. James because I had baggage in my life I wanted to let go of. And so, so that's kind of the first week of a Lenten journey with Mother Mary is to examine our conscience um, and, and to let go of those things. The, the second then, uh, she said, well, I went to Fatima because I wanted to find forgiveness, to forgive other people in my life. And so that was the second part of her pilgrimage. And then she was in Lourdes and she wanted to find healing, healing in her life, not only from a medical thing, but also emotional. And then she said, I want to go to, I want to go to uh, uh, Poland, to, to St. Faustina Shrine, and because I want a deeper trust in God. And when she shared her story, I thought, wow, that would make a great book, I think. <laughs> and so eventually I was inspired to write A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary and as I used her story as kind of the basis of it, well, I said, we, I think to honor that story, I got to do, I, I got to share a little bit about divine mercy and deepening that trust in God. And so, um, of course, people pray the divine mercy novena from Good Friday onward. And uh, so, so it does become a part of our Lenten journey, but then it goes beyond Easter Sunday, it goes to that divine mercy Sunday. And, uh, I think that when you read the diary and Susan Tassoni has done great work with the diary of, uh, of St. Faustina and uh, with her daily meditation books and whatnot. So I, I would just say that, that St. Faustina can really help us to have a greater trust in who God is and what God does and to, to deepen our faith and that God makes all these promises to us. Um, and so we just foster that trust uh, through that message. Uh, the fact that you go beyond Easter Sunday to really that divine trust that we can get that we show through the resurrection, we can have that trust in Christ because even death itself can't stop him. Going back to the top of the hour, we talked about the champion Wisconsin apparition, which you've had a lot of writing on and have a big heart for. I mean, being a Wisconsin boy, how can you not? But can you tell anyone who's not familiar with it? what that apparition was all about? Yeah, so uh, a year after the apparitions in Lourdes, France, Our Lady appears to a woman in Wisconsin. She's a Belgian immigrant. And she says, uh, her name was Adele Bryce. And uh, Mary says, I'm the queen Mm -hmm. of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. I wish you to do the same. Offer your holy communion for that intention. And then she told Adele to gather the children, teach them what they needed to know for salvation, how to make the sign of the cross, how to approach the sacraments, uh, to really to fear nothing because God would be with her. And uh, that was really the basic message of the apparition. Uh, kind of Mary appears, I think, because people were falling away from the practice of the faith. And so her apparition spurs the faith of the people and renews it, especially among the children, which then uh, trickles into the family. And 
And uh, it's a very beautiful shrine, a very small shrine. It's not as big as Lourdes it's, or Fatima or anything like that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a, a special place of prayer, especially for the people in the local area. But now it's gaining a greater reputation. And lots of people have been coming to the shrine. They've been coming to know the message of Our Lady as she gave it to Adele. And, and it's also been a place known for healing as well. Mm-hmm. And, and people go there for that intention. But I think that there are lots of different graces that maybe God wishes to bestow upon the world through that apparition. Certainly see that. And would you recommend a pilgrimage to a Marian shrine or anything like that for anyone who's going through Lent this year? Yeah, I think I might actually recommend it somewhere in the, uh, somewhere. Actually, I do. Uh, okay. Holy Week, I begin as kind of this Lenten, like a, a pilgrimage to the foot of the cross. And, and um, there could be a shrine in your area that you could go on pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. There's that Shrine of the Christ's Passion in Indiana that has these life-size stations of the cross that people people make the stations yeah. and so forth. And um, so that might be a place to go. But of course, there's places all around your local area. And uh, you can go there and you can make a smaller pilgrimage. It could even be just simple, simply to a wooden cross in the church cemetery yes. or, or something like that. Like a, a pilgrimage doesn't have to be grand. But it's just saying, I'm going beyond myself. I'm going to make this commitment. Uh, I'm I'm going to do this because I believe that there's a spiritual value to it. Yes. And on that subject of going to a cemetery, even making that into a pilgrimage. Before I get into this, though, I do want to say I live in Colorado, just down the street from the Mother Cabrini Shrine. And that's actually where I got married a few months ago. And I do, I am so surprised how no one knows about this shrine and that Mother Cabrini lived on the property. There's a miraculous spring attributed to her work there. And yeah, honestly, just Google around you, Catholic shrine near you, and you'll find some cool stuff. But I want to bring it back to the cemetery you mentioned as a shrine. Is Lent at all a particularly good time to pray for the dead? And if so, is there a way Mary can help us in that endeavor? Yes, definitely. It's a good time to pray for our beloved dead, whoever they are in our lives. Uh, some of the apparitions of Our Lady, uh, some of the apparitions of Our mm-hmm. Lady are inspired by that. The apparitions of Our Lady are very important for praying for the dead. The story of Nacht, for example, is one that came about because the priest uh, prayed the Gregorian masses for the dead of mm-hmm. his parish, and then afterwards, Our Lady appears the next day with Joseph, who's the patron saint of a happy and a holy death. And then, um, and and John, who was there uh, with Mary uh, at, and with Jesus at the end of Jesus's life at the crucifixion. So, so we see the, kind of the praying for the dead there. We also know that in Fa- in Fatima, Our Lady talked about um, praying for the dead when the children asked about their friend Amelia and whether or not she was in heaven. And uh, so, so yeah, there are lots of different aspects of the of these apparitions that encourage us to pray for those who have died. <gasps> Wonderful. And as we wrap up, Father, I would love to ask this question to anyone who's written a book, and you've written many, but what was the most surprising or delightful thing you learned while writing this book? Um, well, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing maybe to say. Uh, I would say that it was mm-hmm. never to give up. So... There were times I so I actually share this in the acknowledgments, uh, talking about uh, the acquisitions editor. But I actually had emailed the acquisitions editor and told him that I had to withdraw the the possibility of writing this book. That I just didn't think I could do it, and I was just very 
Mm. I, I kind of hit a wall. I hit a roadblock. I couldn't do it. So, so, but for whatever reason, I was given the motivation again to go back at it, and I was able to finish the book. And uh, so, I think what surprised me the most was that obviously this was ordained by God to happen. It was part of God's will. Maybe there was something in me resisting it, and uh, but. But I didn't give up. Even when I did give up, I still didn't give up, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so it was more like on a personal nature. Yeah. The lesson more was a personal nature for me. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, something with the content necessarily. It, it was just uh, the, the notion of writing itself. Certainly. I think uh, anyone who writes, but especially writers of a spiritual nature, have to learn that because uh, it's so much harder than writing a common interest piece about travel or whatever. Oh, but if anyone wants to learn more about you, where can they learn more about you? Where can they find you online? Sure. So I have a website that kind of serves as a, a basis, a collection of different links and whatnot to find the stuff I write or the books. So so edwardlooney.com is, is the website. But uh, I'm fairly active on social yes. media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on my public pages. So at FR Edward Looney is a great way to to follow the content that I put out on a, a regular basis. Beautiful. We'll put all those links as well as the links we mentioned to articles, books, things like that at CatholicExchange.com. You can also check the show notes wherever you're listening to this. And if you'd like to listen to Father Looney's other interviews, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can go on through our archives, but I'll put those online at CatholicExchange.com in our show notes. Father, thank you so much for joining us, being a regular guest, a regular writer at CatholicExchange.com. I know our readers have enjoyed getting to know you, and I think your newest book is going to be a delight for all of them. Well, I look forward to them reading the book, praying with it, and really, uh, Mary, when she appears, she's given these messages, and they're not just meant to be heard, but they're meant to be lived in our lives, and so I really hope that this book becomes that practical way that we live the apparitions of Our Lady and the messages uh, that she spoke. Amen to that, and I agree. I hope everyone gets the same feeling and really grows close to Mary this Lent. Uh, thank you so much, Father, for sharing your wisdom and insight with us. You're welcome. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford, and we'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, Play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back. Traditionally, the three things we are called to do during Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Our next podcast comes to us from CatholicCentral.com. Hosts Kai Johnson and Libby Slater take a lighthearted, faith-filled look at the history of Lent and how to get the most out of it this year. What's up? 
Well, Libby, I really want to do Lent right this year, you know? All right, take a seat. Let's get started. Oh, no. No sitting or reclining for me during Lent. It's far too comfortable. Also, no solid foods, no clothing fresh out of the dryer, no electronics. Whoa, hold on. That might be a little too extreme. I mean, no electronics. Oh, no. I've already failed. Well, maybe now you won't feel too guilty about sitting down. I feel guilty about everything. I'm Libby. And I'm Kai. Welcome to Catholic Central. When most people think about Lent, they think about something they have to give up. But Lent is so much more than that. Lent is a time to help us grow spiritually and prepare to celebrate Easter. The word Lent comes from the Anglo-Saxon word lengthen, which means spring, a time when the days start to lengthen. So we can look at Lent as a time of lengthening or stretching ourselves spiritually. But it's not extreme stretching as in Cirque du Soleil. It's more like a journey that God invites us on in order to grow closer to Him. Throughout the year, the Catholic Church has different seasons, which are all meant to help us celebrate and grow in our relationship with God. Can you imagine what life would be like if we never celebrated Christmas or Easter? Or National Taco Day. Yum. All great feasts require preparation to fully appreciate them. And almost every major religion has a similar time of preparation and purification. Even secular society has its own traditions. At New Year's, you can find people giving up everything from unhealthy food to everything they did the night before. The first mention of Lent was found in 325 AD at the Church's Council of Nicaea. It's the same council that gave us the Nicene Creed, which all Christians profess. At the council, Lent was mentioned as a time of 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. It was a time of spiritual preparation for adults who were converting to Christianity. At the end of the 40 days on Easter, they'd be baptized. Eventually, other Christians wanted in to support the new converts, but also because they recognized their own need for ongoing penance and conversion. At the Council of Nicaea, the word used for Lent was tesserakonta, which in Greek means 40. But not to symbolize the mini midlife crisis we all have during Lent. No. Remember, 40 is a significant number in the Bible. During the flood with Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. After leaving Egypt, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus spent 40 days in the desert fasting and being tempted by the devil before starting his public ministry. And what do all of those have in common? Um, destruction, confusion, suffering. Yes, but also these were times of preparation. That's what Lent is. Just like training for a Spartan race, Lent is a time to train spiritually. Pray harder! Come on, Kai, squeeze those arms. Let's go! Get in the game! Fester fasting! Come on, twinkle toes! Do it for the poor! We do that by renewing our focus on three common practices. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. First, prayer. Christians are encouraged to pray every day anyway, but Lent is a time to refocus our prayer life and maybe even add a little more to it. For instance, you could add a few minutes to your prayer time each day, attend Mass more frequently, or learn a new prayer you've been putting off, like the Rosary. Conveniently, we have episodes on the Rosary, praying with the Bible, or the Mass, so you can't make excuses. Next is fasting. Catholics fast on Ash Wednesday, which is the first day of Lent, and on Good Friday. That means you can have one full meal and two smaller meals or snacks that don't equal a full meal, even if you pile them on top of each other. On Ash Wednesday and Fridays during Lent, Catholics also abstain from meat. That means no cheeseburgers, chicken, or the ultimate sacrifice, bacon. Catholics can eat fish on Fridays. There are a few reasons why. Throughout history, meat was considered a luxury, but fish was not, because there was a ton of it. 
So Catholics practiced eating fish on Fridays as a way to deny themselves the deliciousness of meat and show solidarity with the poor. Also, Catholics give up meat on Fridays in order to honor the sacrifice of Jesus, who gave up his flesh for us on Good Friday. Over time, abstaining from meat on Fridays became a generally accepted act of penance in the Christian community. Fun fact! In the 1960s, McDonald's added the Filet-O-Fish because burger sales dropped during Lent. So if you've ever enjoyed a Filet-O-Fish, on behalf of Catholics everywhere, you're welcome. Besides abstaining from meat on Fridays during Lent, throughout the 40 days, Catholics also give up something good that they normally enjoy. It's another way to show their commitment to God. And it's a way to honor Jesus' command to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. A lot of people give up candy or chocolate. But really, it can be anything you choose. Say you're addicted to TV, especially, I don't know, shows where people finally get the kitchen of their dreams. Not that I'd know anything about that. Either way, it's okay. One person's sacrifice is no better than another's. It's a personal choice. But whatever it is, it's meant as a way to remind ourselves that we are in a season of preparation. It's always about God, not about us or our own effort. In addition to prayer and fasting, the third common practice during Lent is almsgiving. An alm refers to food, money, or some other material good given to the poor as an act of charity. So during Lent, we try to add an extra activity that will help or bless someone. It could be volunteering at a soup kitchen, visiting the sick, writing letters to someone in prison, or just performing a kind act. You can also combine fasting and almsgiving, like skipping a meal and giving the money you save to a local food pantry. And I, for one, am planning to make sure that I spend 55 minutes of every hour in prayer down at the cafeteria inside of the prison where I pay the prisoners to let me volunteer. Whoa, 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 easy there. The point of all of this is not to make ourselves suffer or show how spiritual we are. It's to help ourselves grow in our relationship with God. But what happens if someone forgot that it's a Friday and enjoyed a juicy bacon cheeseburger? Is Lent ruined? I'm asking for a friend. Don't beat yourself up about it. If we fail, it's just another reminder that we still need God's grace in our lives. Ah, good point, Libby. Like, if you get a flat tire, you don't just slash the other three tires. You fix the flat and get back on the road. The point of Lent is to take the focus off of ourselves and put it on God, to remember the ultimate sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross, and to thank Him for it. So, to recap, Lent is the 40-day period between Ash Wednesday and Easter, a time when Catholics practice prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Those are things we should try to do anyway throughout the year. But Lent is a special opportunity to help us reprioritize and get back on track spiritually to prepare to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Listen up! As with all training regimens, keep your eyes on the prize, no pain, no gain, and move it or lose it! If you want to learn more about how not to lose it during Lent, check out our website at catholiccentral.com. I'm Libby. And I'm Kai. See you next time. Closing out this week's sampler, we go to Three Minute Theology with Joan Watson for an overview of Lent. Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent in the Church. 
Lent lasts for 40 days. Now, 40 is an important biblical number. We see that the Israelites wandered throughout the desert in the Old Testament for 40 years. Lent lasting 40 days comes from the time in Christ's life when he sets time aside and goes out to the desert to fast and pray for 40 days. Now, when did he do this? He did this before his public ministry. So he's baptized in the River Jordan by John, and then he goes out into the desert to, to spend that time in prayer with his father before going out to accomplish his father's will. Now, if Jesus Christ himself did this, don't you think it's important for us to do it as well? To set time aside to grow closer to our father in prayer and fasting? Oh, it, it became common a while back to talk about not giving something up for Lent, but doing something for Lent. And while I see the advantages of this, I respond with, yes, both and. We need to do additional things during Lent, but we shouldn't neglect giving something up. There's an importance to fasting. Now, the three hallmarks of the Lenten season, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, come to us from Matthew's Gospel, and it's the Gospel we read on Ash Wednesday. In Matthew 6, Christ refers to these three practices, and it's interesting. He doesn't say, if you give alms, and he doesn't say, hmm, praying's a good thing to do, but instead he says, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give alms. They're not really options but they're important parts of this Lenten season. And so I encourage you to look at these three areas and pick at least one thing to do during Lent that falls under these three things. Do something to increase your prayer life. Fast from something and give alms in some way. Whether that's money, time, or talent, do something to bless those in need. Now, I think there are two traps in Lent. There's the trap of doing something or choosing to give up something that's so hard, you do it for a few days and then you wear out and you give up. That's not the point of Lent. The other trap is to pick something so easy that you barely even notice you're doing it. That's not the point either. You know, a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if it's not hard. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look more closely at things like fasting and almsgiving. What does that mean? But remember, as you set aside time to think about what you're going to do for Lent, remember the whole point is to grow closer to Christ, to set time aside in our busy schedules. We can't go out to the desert for 40 days, but to set time aside and think, how can I grow closer to my Heavenly Father so that I'm better equipped to go out and do His will? And this is a little theology in three minutes. Closing this week's sampler, let us all pray that this year we take the time and make the effort to get the most from this Lenten season so that we will truly be ready for a glorious Easter. That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org along with links to more of the programs we've shared. Until next time, I'm Kent Planford. And may God bless. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? 
Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.